0: T-R-O-U-B-L-E, trouble. And uh, a good question. Is there a difference being in trouble and the word trouble? Yeah, a big difference. So hang on. My title is, Is Christianity a Trouble-Free Religion? Did Jesus promise us a trouble-free life? Boy, I wish that were true, but that is not. You know, I quote that very famous... Scripture in uh, Julius chapter 3, verse 12, that Jesus promised us a peaceful life, a gated community, a beautiful home, a late model car, and a hot spouse. But I can't find it. It's, are y'all okay? It's not in my Bible. If you watch too much Christian TV, you're going to get goofy. God, every day is not hallelujah day. And I'll show you why in just a minute, Okay. I remember flying, this has been a good while ago, from New York, Kennedy, to Bangkok, Thailand, Sawadeecon. Now, that was my plan. This was Pan American 747. However, somewhere over India, we lost an engine, and we had to land in Karachi, Pakistan at midnight. We were herded into the airport lounge, which was basically a straw hut, had no air conditioning, was 110 degrees, it had a straw roof, and we were given no update on anything. But the bar was open, and it was free. So a whole lot of the passengers got stoned drunk. We were told we had to wait for an engine to be flown in from Beirut, Lebanon, and the wait was eight hours. People were cursing and drunk. It was total chaos. One guy's I don't know, what just ticked me off. And I told his loud mouthed cussing guy, if he didn't shut up, I was going to punch his face in, in Jesus' name. <laughs> and he did. Finally, the engine came and they flew us back to Le- Beirut, Lebanon. And then there was another eight hour delay. Finally, I arrived in Bangkok, Thailand, two days late. Now, I don't know where my luggage went, but when it did come, it was broken and ripped. And I was thinking, oh, if we could only find a way to avoid pain, avoid problems, and avoid trouble. What a great life. If only we could wish or will our way out of life's difficulties. Wouldn't that be great if there were no delays, no broken bags? Wouldn't it be great if there were no trouble? Yeah. Yeah, come on. Right? I think that's a fairly prevalent sentiment in our world, trying to avoid trouble. But the problem is. While God's plan is that the world, uh, the whole creation He made would live in His peace, in His justice, in His grace and mercy, God never promised that our lives would always turn out exactly as we had hoped. In fact, when God came into the world, the person of Jesus, He told us something about a different kind of an expectation that we would face in life, and then He told us what He's done about it and will continue to do about it. So, we're looking at a passage of Scripture this morning from John chapter 16. Many of you know the story of Jesus' last supper with the disciples, and how on that night they shared a final meal and a conversation together. And Jesus makes a profound statement about what life would be like for those who follow Him. Verse 32 and verse 33 of John 16. He says, the time is coming, in fact has come, when you will be scattered each to your own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I'm not alone, my father's with me. I've told you these things so that in me you might have peace. But in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. You know, one of my favorite moments in any movie is the climactic line by the main character. I'm thinking of Mel Gibson in Braveheart shouting, Freedom! I'm thinking of Harrison Ford in Air Force One shouting to the terrorists, Get off my plane! I'm thinking of Clint Eastwood in Dirty Harry telling a killer, go ahead, punk, make my day. Are any of you like that? No, you're nice. Y'all look like Christian nightlights, I know, I can tell. Well, this is Jesus. Here he is. He's left with his best pals, his most loyal followers, and with only hours left before his crucifixion. So what's he going to say to inspire him? What are going to be his last climactic words? in this world, you're going to have trouble. Wow. I mean, Jesus must not have checked with his speechwriter. That was not a profound thing to say to encourage anybody. I thought he might say something. Don't worry about it. You're going to make it. Nothing's going to stop you now. But he doesn't say that. In this world, you're going to have trouble. So what does Jesus mean by trouble? Now, personally, I often associate that word trouble with the idea of being in trouble as if it has to do with the consequences of a bad decision, and probably you do too. Uh, I don't know if you remember this. Just a couple of summers ago, uh, I remember reading in the San Antonio paper about a nine-year-old boy from Texas who moved with his family to Tacoma, Washington, The boy was so desperate to get back to Texas, he stole the neighbor's car that had been left running. He was chased by police at speeds up to 90 miles an hour. He wrecked the car, but he escaped custody. Somehow he made it to the airport, sneaked through security with a discarded Southwest Airlines boarding pass. Anybody remember that? He boarded a... Do y'all read the paper? All right. He... He boarded a flight to Texas, made a connection to San Antonio, where he was finally caught here trying to make a connection to Dallas. I mean, there's always something that delays you trying to fly to Dallas. And this fourth grader was placed in juvenile custody in San Antonio. Uh, I think this occurred to me that if you're a diehard Texan, I'd rather be in custody in Texas than live in Tacoma, Washington. I've been there. Now, I'm not the kid's daddy, but I would bet that boy is in trouble. Uh, He's facing the difficult consequences of bad choices. But Jesus is not talking about that kind of trouble. The word John uses is a Greek word, flipsis, F-L-I-P-S-I-S, flipsis. And flipsis is a kind of trouble that comes from the difficulties of the world all around us over which I have no control you know, if I'm speeding on 281, I have control. I do. I may not obey that control, but I have control of it. And if I see a blue light pulling me over, that's not flipses. That's Rick's bad choice. Are you with me? There's a difference here to help you navigate life's trouble. So a good way to picture this is the idea of undue weight or pressure. To have flipses, this kind of trouble Jesus talks about, is to feel the pressures and pains of the world pressing in on you, like extra gravity or like swimming upstream. Ever experience life like, man, I feel like I'm swimming upstream? And the result is something like a spiritual gravity that's constantly pulling you away from God and from His character. And those of you trying to follow Jesus know this to be true. When, when you go to work, there's a gravity that pulls you towards greed or ambition or deception. When you're with your spouse or significant other, there's a gravity that pulls you towards selfishness or indulgence. And when you're walking by Baskin-Robbins, there's a gravity that pulls you towards mint chocolate chip. And to resist that will cause pressure, trouble, flipses, as Jesus said. I watched a beauty pageant several years ago where the finalist was asked questions. They always give them questions. And I remember one contestant gave a bold declaration of her faith in Christ. It created such controversy immediately and drama flips this and she didn't win. Or a couple in a serious relationship is pressured to move in with him and she refuses. And that decision created such a division between the two, the relationship didn't make it. So in this world, which is bent and therefore pulls you away from God, you will have trouble. It'll feel like you're swimming upstream. Could be at work, could be marriage, could be at school, but it's real. And Jesus said, I know you'll love this, you can't avoid that. Not that. So it's like the paralyzed man that Jesus heals on the Sabbath. He picks up his mat and he walks just as Jesus told him to do so. And boy, he got in deep flipses with Pharisees for breaking the Sabbath law while obeying Jesus. It's like Peter getting out of that boat thinking his faith in Jesus is great. However, when he realizes he's put himself in the middle of a storm out there on the lake where people have drowned, he's now in holy flipses and he starts to sink. So if we're to be people of faith, we have to erase the confusion that somehow following Jesus should lead us to a life that's trouble-free. You are living in la-la land, right? When Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, he's kind of given us the dignity of being honest and confronting us with the reality that not everything in life will go like you hoped. Not if some of you've been married for I don't know, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years like that, I'll guarantee you if I interviewed you, you'd say, well, I thought, but that's not what happened. And I thought or expected, but that's not what happened. All of us could say that. It won't always turn out the way you want it to. Now, that's critical to accept because if you don't, you'll lose your faith, you'll cast it aside at the first sign of trouble, and you'll try to find something that works better. In this world, you'll have trouble. There will be flipses, but thankfully, while Jesus insists that we start here, we don't end there. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Now, what does that mean? Well, we can be absolutely certain it doesn't mean there won't be any trouble. I'd like for Jesus to say, in this world, you'll have trouble, but rest assured, I will kick it in the face. I will keep you from feeling it. I will show you how to get over it but he didn't. He said, I have overcome the world. In other words, I'm not going to just redirect evil. I'm going to stop it at its source. And he does that by going to the cross. The cross is not just about dealing with the sins of my heart. The cross changes the entire fabric of human history. It was a defining moment. At that moment in time, the entire universe changed. And now, like yeast spreading through dough, the kingdom of God is spreading throughout our world. Now, let me pause and say, you don't get to read all that. It's not newsworthy. Fear sells. Anything negative sells. We always, I want to know. I want to know. But good news doesn't have appeal or reader appeal. But you can believe it's always going on in our world. And it, so God's kingdom, he said, of my kingdom, there will never be an end. Some of you quit giving the devil everything. Could giving Him the earth. The earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, and all that dwell in it. I ain't giving Him anything. He's lost everything at the cross. He's still around, but He has ultimately lost and will ultimately be cast into a lake of fire. He'll get His. You can be confident of that. He's not getting away with anything. And so, This kingdom of ours, this kingdom of God, is creating a new kind of gravity that pulls us, should pull us, towards justice and righteousness and mercy and grace. In this world, you will have trouble and division, but take heart. Jesus has changed the world. He's overcome it. Don't you think everybody in Christ, I don't care what your denomination is, if you're in Christ, you get a changed heart. You decide to live by the kingdom of God. You treat everybody with respect. Nobody's less than, nobody's better than because they're a celebrity or a sports star, or they make a huge income, or they're business tycoons. I don't care if Bill Gates sat on that front row, if it's full, he'll sit in the back. You don't get special treatment in the kingdom of God. Everybody's special, everybody's important, nobody's to be taken advantage of, we love one another, and and Jesus had a redneck named Peter, and Peter was a racist. Peter was raised in a Jewish culture that hated Samaritans and Gentiles. We were dogs, okay, because we weren't born Hebrews. Now, that was his culture, and when Jesus came, it just screwed him up. I can see him in his four-by-four pickup truck with his gun rack in the back, probably had a Confederate flag in there, a couple of empty beer cans in the floor, a mullet. I, I mean, I'm trying to think of trying to put Peter in today, and Peter jesus tells him to go down to visit a guy named cornelius who's a gentile and peter's oh heck no i'm not going down there we don't mix with those people those are unclean people gentile i've never been in the house or eaten with and jesus had to let a sheet down with pigs and pork and all kind of good stuff on it and 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 tell peter to go three times peter didn't get the message and finally, Jesus said to him in that dream, what I have cleansed, don't you call unclean, unworthy, minority, outcast, shut up, Peter, and do what I said. Three times, the Son of God had to get this guy straight. Some of you think one tweet will fix everybody. <laughs> Won't do it. And then, and then uh, Paul, who's brilliant and articulate, he comes along and he rebukes Peter three times for his inconsistency on preferring race above the kingdom. Let me tell you something. I love my country. I was born here. I could have been born in Afghanistan, but I would not There are a lot of things I'm grateful for. I'm grateful God found me. I'm grateful my get grandparents influenced me with Christianity. I am very, very grateful. But I am loyal to the kingdom of God above America, above white Caucasian, above my political views. The kingdom of God, the word of God is eternal, infallible, and heaven and earth will pass away, but my word shall not. That's what he said. So where is your loyalty? It is not first to a race or a nation or a flag or a political party or some group. It's first to the, king. if the word of God says do this and it's clear, that's my first obligation no matter what the cost is. When I meet new people, people from a different culture, we have people from Nigeria, Colombia, African-American people, Asian people, Hispanic people, all kinds of people. I, I operate by three L's. Listen, shut up, listen, hear their story. They're all different, interesting, sometimes tragic. Learn, ah, and then love. Listen, learn, and love. To, uh, you hear their story it'll change your whole perspective it really will so I can't change the world but we can control the atmosphere in here yeah. everybody's welcome everybody's welcome we're inclusive we're not founded on a political ideology we're founded on the word of God on what Jesus did and Jesus went around he hung out with the Samaritans he was a friend of publicans and sinners he did everything the church won't do and of course they crucified him Well, hello. Isn't that wonderful? So some of you, you have to be bold. So while I can't change all the laws and I can't fix things, I can treat everybody with respect and honor and love. I can be your friend and I like hearing your story. I like, whoa! I didn't know that happened to you. I didn't know that was your background. It helps me understand you better to learn and then easier to love you. That's why we urge you to get in a small group. You can find out where people came from, what happened to them, why they are like they are, why their view is slanted that way. Because we all come into the world slanted by our parents, by our culture, where we grew up, and a lot of it was wrong. My grandmother used to tell me that if I drank milk and ate fish, it would poison me. God bless grandma. She loved Jesus, but grandma was really wrong when it came to nutrition. And every time it snowed, it was a signal that these are the end times. The Lord's coming soon. The weather has changed. That was back in the 50s, folks. Climate change arguments are not new today. Ask my grandmother. She was convinced that was a sign of the end times. Now, Grandma's in heaven and knows her theology wasn't real good, but she was sincere. you have to be able to get along with people who don't hold your view on everything look at this audience some of you are nuts some of you are (laughs) some of you are thoughtful some of you are confused you don't have to agree with me on every issue you're not my enemy you're gonna my wife and I don't agree on everything we got babies. We're still married 44 almost 40 almost 60 years. <laughs> yeah, wait a minute. Do you see that why do you want to get in a fight? Why do you want to put a tweet out or an Instagram out? That's inflammatory. As a believer, I'm not getting involved in inflaming, but peacemaking. That's what Jesus did. He tried to reconcile people together in love, but it takes a new heart. More than a law it takes a heart to see people for a value and worth and what they could be. You never know what's sitting in here and what it could be. He loves God loves to take foolish, weak and off-scouring things to confound the wisdom of the wise and the mighty. You may be the lowest ranking person in the human race and God says, "I'll take you and I'll change you and I'll use you." And I am so grateful for that grace. Now, some of you may be thinking, then why does there appear to be so much more evil in the world today? Well, it's not that there's more. It's that there's more video now. It's always been there, right, guys? Some of you know that. It's always been there. But evil is also running out of air. It's running out of the oxygen it needs. And and as it does, it screams and kicks and attacks. It feels like it's more dangerous and damaging, not because it's winning, but because it's suffocating, it's losing. And pausing for a moment, when the enemy feels he's being threatened, he, he goes into hyper overdrive. Because when Jesus was born, Herod, energized by the enemy, killed all the babies from two years and down out of fear, Messiah is coming. It'll change our government. It'll change our way of life. We have a new king, and it won't be Caesar. See how the reaction? When the church was founded, the Holy Spirit came. Oh, this is dangerous. So persecution broke out in Jerusalem. It was everywhere. This isn't new. All through the Bible. God's moving, and the enemy's kicking and screaming. And it's either something is going on now, or something is coming from the kingdom of God that terrifies the enemy. And I don't want to use this analogy, because it's not political. I'm trying to use one physiologically, that if the evil is being squeezed out of oxygen, if you've ever reached over and grabbed your spouse's neck real quick, <laughs> and squeeze it real hard, if, if you can't breathe or you're underwater, you'll get frantic. I was a rescue guard with a rescue team in New Jersey at McGuire Air Force Base, and I would help people drowning or recover people who had drowned. But the one thing you learned in being a water safety instructor is that when people back away from people thrashing, they're they're afraid, they're in panic mode, they can't breathe, they're afraid they're going to die, and they'll pull you under. Don't get involved in the pull under. Be a voice of righteousness, of hope, of peace, of the kingdom. And just what Jesus tried to do over and over. We can do this. We can. But if, if, you, ch- if you run out of air, you'll get more frantic. Well, the enemy has got either something's coming, God always can move at any time, and something is on the horizon now, and it terrifies the enemy, and it puts him into action. And let me say this. God told us we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We're not fighting a person. We're not fighting races. We're fighting principalities and powers that are bringing people against each other, stirring up strife. So we're supposed to bind. We're supposed to pray. We're supposed to rebuke the adversary. Our prayers, believe it or not, avail much. They can change the atmosphere. So don't get involved in just a political thing, get involved spiritually. You have power, you can pray against division, racism injustice and pulled down that stronghold because he's terrified and he's trying to put brother against brother and people against people and races against people I don't have any trouble I came out of South Carolina dear God I ought to be a card carrying KKK never been never been, it's a heart it's a heart, if God didn't change your heart there's not much hope for you you need a new heart That old heart is corrupt, deceitful above all things, and God can change your heart and make you somebody that's actually lovable. Let me give you an analogy in making sense of this. In World War II, it was technically won, technically, on D-Day, 1944, June, when the Allies won the Battle of Normandy. And once they did, from that moment on, the outcome of the war was never in doubt, But the war itself raged on for almost a year before it officially ended V.E. Day, May 1945. And in that time, there were even more battles, greater struggles, flipses everywhere. In a similar way, the cross of Jesus marks a D-Day when Jesus overcame the world. And from that moment on, the outcome is never in doubt. It is certain. Sin, death, and evil will not have the last word. But between the cross and the day Jesus returns, there will be trouble everywhere. There will be struggle. There will be flipses. But take heart, Jesus has overcome the world. And the sin that fuels the fires of our world are slowly being suffocated out by the kingdom of God. And that has a few implications. Number one, Jesus is stronger than my trouble. It's vitally important Jesus knows we'll face trouble because too often we feel like when I'm in trouble, I'm alone. Jesus said, not a chance. I get it. I've been through it. You better know this happens. Happens to everybody. But it's not just a word of empathy, understanding, compassion. It's a word of power. Jesus is more powerful than the gravity that pulls you to addiction. He's more powerful than gravity that pulls you towards greed. He's more powerful than gravity that pulls you towards doubt or despair. But it doesn't mean that change is easy, it never is. But it means there is real hope for those who place their trust in Jesus. There's real possibility for change for you, for our world, this week, this month, this year. There's real possibility for change. That's good. I believe that. It's not because we make resolutions. We're not making petty resolutions about managing our troubles. We, we make a resolution to put my hope in the one who has real power over this world. And Jesus is the one second observation is that Jesus offers us his peace in the face of trouble he said I've told you these things so you might have peace which sounds a little weird since the next thing he says that in the world you will have trouble but the peace Jesus gives is not absence of trouble it is the presence of God in the face of trouble I'll never leave you or forsake you he no matter what I'm going through Stage four cancer, whatever's going through in the world. He said, I haven't left. I'm, not, I'm still with you. I'm right here. Uh, let, me, let me put it this way. Years ago, I was flying a twin-engine aircraft, uh, and, and I flew the senior pastor, his wife, the associate pastor, his wife, my wife, and an 85-year-old mother of the senior pastor. And I was coming out of Jacksonville, Florida, climbing through 15,000 feet when suddenly the right engine blew up. Smoke and oil streamed all over the wing and an obvious shudder of the airplane as the engine shut down. Everybody on that plane went dead silent as I shut off the fuel to the engine, feathered the engine and stabilized the aircraft. The nervous, terrified associate pastor, Mr. Ray Turner, was seated in the co-pilot's seat. That was the last seat available. He was terrified. Later after the landing, someone told me what he had said. He said, when Rick looked over at me and said, it's going to be fine, I practice this all the time, I've got it. Well, he said he spoke with boldness and confidence, I suddenly felt peace, because Rick's got it. Now, if you see me sweating, you do have a problem. But I practiced those one-engine outs over and over, every kind of maneuver. It was by the book, standard, no panic. We flew on to Savannah, Georgia, landed on on one engine. But the disciples are about to face a raging storm. And not only that, they're about to fail in the midst of it. They're about to abandon Jesus at his greatest moment of need, facing crucifixion. But Jesus is not going to abandon them. Instead, he wants them to experience the peace of his presence, which means no matter how great the storm, no matter how much it rages at you, no matter how much trouble you may find this year, I promise you, God said, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. I will not leave you. I will not let more come upon you than you're able to bear. God will be your shelter through the storm. Whatever you're going through, a divorce, a stage four cancer, something that you're not able to fix, a financial setback, closure of a business. I mean, the country is rocking and rolling economically right now due to this coronavirus. It's terrible. God says, I'm still with you. I've got your back. I will supply your need. I may have to do it in strange ways, different than you thought, but I won't leave you alone. I, I, that I brings comfort to me. So I think my wife would, I mean, I don't have that many good qualities, but I think she would say, Rick, never panics. Never panics. I was a water safety instructor. I was a lifeguard. I was a commercial pilot. I've been in all kinds of stuff where it's nasty and bad, and every rule, first rule, don't panic. Don't panic. Folks, don't freak out. God isn't going to lose the world. He's got the world. He's not going to lose it. He works all things for His good you're good in his glory to Jesus the enemy can never outmaneuver him so it's not over it's got to play a while it's bad I can pray but personally I can also be at peace I'm not going to get let other people hype me up into their drama I've got peace God's got this under control and here's the last one finally the text reminds me that Jesus loves the whole world not just you (laughs) you Did you hear that? Not just you. Not just your kind. He loves the whole freaking world. Jesus doesn't say in this world you'll have trouble, but take heart. I'm going to kick it where it counts. I'll give those sinners what they deserve. I'll put them back in their place. Nope. He says, take heart. I've overcome the world. And how did Jesus overcome the world? With armies, with violence, with political power? No. He humbled himself. He took the life of a servant, and being obedient to the Father, he went to his death on the cross. For the sake of a world in trouble, that of course changes how we're to live in a troubled world as well, because we have the opportunity to participate and bring in God's kingdom to its full expression, not by ignoring sin and death and unrighteousness and bigotry and racism, but by joining Jesus as he suffocates it, and that happens every day. When an addict discovers healing and deliverance in the grace of God, there's less air for evil to breathe. When someone of great wealth starts to measure their life not by what they've accumulated, but what they can give, there's less air for evil to breathe. When somebody who can't look in the mirror at themselves and discovers that God created them and loves them, that they're special, and they begin to see themselves like God does, there's less air for the enemy to breathe. When a person looks at the cross and says, yep, that's God's way of dealing with trouble, there's less air for evil to breathe. In this world, you'll have trouble, and your faith may not always feel like it's working, but rest assured, the one who is stronger than your trouble, the one who offers peace in the midst of every storm, loved this world enough to give himself for it. He's overcome the world and secured the outcome, which means for this year and every year that follows, I don't have to fear or run from trouble. I can commit to invade our troubled world with the love, the grace, the justice of our God until He comes again. And then sin and death will breathe no more. Last verse, Isaiah 46, verse 3 and 4. Listen to me, you whom I have upheld since you were conceived in the womb and have carried you since your birth, even to your old age and gray hair. That's a lot of us. God says, I am He who will sustain you. I have made you, and I will carry you. Thank God He will see me to the finish, and He will see you to the finish. He's got me from the womb right to the end of my life, and no one can take that life until God's finished with me. You are unshakable. Be at peace. God is for you. He has defeated death, hell, and the grave. He's already pulled the stinger out of death. I don't fear it. I have eternal life. And ultimately, when he comes again, he will extinguish all unrighteousness. Every war criminal that escaped justice will have to bow their knee before God and make their confession and face the judgment. Evil will never win. But until he comes and finishes what he won at the cross, there's going to be trouble. But be at peace. I've overcome the world. Let's be instruments of God's kingdom and righteousness in this troubled world. Let's don't agitate and inflame. Let's dial it down and bring peace and love and kindness. Treat everybody righteous. Don't be color conscious. Be humanity conscious. Every human being. Every human being. Rich, poor, minority, whatever they may be. Never be unkind to anybody. Amen. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit SummitSA.com.